brothers and sisters of America, I want to thank you who are giving permission, supporting um, the worker in West Africa and uh, helping the gospel uh, to be spread. In terms of uh, impacts, I am an example because my father came to the Lord through uh, the work of the first generation of missionary. We can see what your support spiritually and financially has done. We can talk about health care. We can talk about refugee help. The impact is great. I want to thank you very much. In Bamra, we say, this means God bless you. Gracias por apoyar al envío de los obreros de la Alianza de Estados Unidos a América Latina. Estos obreros nos han equipado para llevar el Evangelio hasta los confines de la tierra. La presencia de ellos marca la diferencia en cómo capacitamos a los candidatos hoy. Trabajar con ellos es unidad como cuerpo de Cristo. Gracias a su ayuda, la Iglesia Latinoamericana de la Alianza se está convirtiendo en una fuerza misionera para los no alcanzados. Hello, Alliance family. Thank you for sending Alliance workers to the city of Ishinomaki, which was devastated by the earthquake and tsunami nine years ago. We have been serving together for five years now. I've been so blessed to work with them. We desire to see the spiritual breakthrough, and now several seekers are regularly coming to our house church. We are very excited. God is at work. Thank you so much for sending workers and for your prayers and support. Je voudrais vraiment vous remercier pour tout ce que vous êtes en train de faire, d'envoyer les missionnaires au niveau du Congo. J'ai été gagné au Seigneur par les missionnaires de la CEMA venus au Congo pour l'évangélisation. Je suis aujourd'hui serviteur au sein de cette communauté. Je suis pasteur, en même temps enseignant à l'Institut biblique. J'assume aussi la responsabilité du directeur de programme au niveau de la radio chrétienne. Je voudrais vous dire de continuer à soutenir les équipes missionnaires ici et financièrement et même dans vos prières pour leur permettre de faire avancer l'œuvre à laquelle ils sont en train de faire au niveau du Congo. Que Dieu vous bénisse et merci de tout ce que vous êtes en train de faire. Isn't it great just to be a part of a worldwide movement, knowing that what we're doing for God here in the Valley is actually something that we can participate in around the world. It's great to be a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. I got a question for you today. Have you ever had the thrill of running through a tunnel as a player into a sports arena? or maybe just a basketball court, or maybe you're a performer and you uh, were standing behind the stage uh, curtain and you were going to do a production, a musical or a play, and, and you were just anxious waiting for the curtain to rise. And when the curtain rises, when you run through the tunnel, you're on, game's on. Well, today I want to lead us into a new kind of series for us, especially during this journey that we're in, uh, the COVID journey, I guess I'm referring it to these days, and it seems to be an ever-ongoing journey. 
the journey for me personally has been one of ups and downs, and there's a lot of empathy, not only from folks like you, but from other pastors and ministry leaders literally around the nation and the world going, how do we lead in a pandemic and when we don't know exactly what to expect and things loosen up and then they get tightened up? Well, if uh, you're like me, some of the ups and downs and some of the constant barragement of, of media attention and you open up the first thing in the morning on uh, a, uh, a news feed or something and it has the number of COVID cases and, and the deaths and those kinds of things. And then there's other issues of social justice and the election and all the And there's an anxiety that just sort of hits your day right off. And as a ministry leader, and we seek to do ministry in these times, it can be discouraging as you seek to do your job, as you seek to reach out to friends and family. It can be discouraging. And what I've experienced in the last few weeks is a subtle lulling of my own disposition into not overall discouragement probably as much as just waiting and treading water. I don't, I don't know, maybe it's... Uh, we're standing in the locker room and I can't get out on the field to play. I can't, I can't get in the game. Uh, I, I can't open up the doors and have the, the building uh, full with people again and interact and do different kinds of things. I'm glad we're able to do this outdoor gathering here uh, in a week from Wednesday. And, and we're going to throw open the, the overhead doors in Venue B and we'll have a dynamic thing with some sails and lights, shade sails and lights and stuff and interact. And as Pastor Zach said, communion and all that will be fine. But there's still something inside of me that goes, I'm treading water. I'm just waiting. I'm abiding time. Do you feel that way? Especially this week when our children were supposed to go back to in-building school. It's been delayed for many in this valley till Monday. and It'll be by virtual means. But what's happening to us in a dispositional sense, I think, is not healthy, especially for us as Christians. When you've heard me in recent weeks inspire us that this is the time, this can be a shining moment for us. But friends, I don't know about you, but I've been on sports teams where we ran through a tunnel or we walked uh, from the locker rooms and ran out onto the basketball court and we fell flat on our face. We got mopped up. It wasn't just a bad game in some seasons of my life when I was younger. It was like a, a bad season of the year of the sport. And the reason is because a lot of times when it's our time to be in the game and make things happen. We are not prepared to do that which God has called us to do. And so what he's been speaking into my life in just the last few days is, Carrie, you need, in your own life as well with other people, you need to up your game. And how do you up your game? Well, you don't sit around, treading water, discouraged, just sort of waiting things out. Hey, we'll get by. You are going to take initiative to go into training to be able to perform, if I can use that word, better for that which matters. I find a lot of people that their life, they fall flat on their face. There's all different kinds of angles at which you can fall these days. It really doesn't matter to me what angle that somebody falls. I've fallen in different kinds of ways. But we're called to stand straight in Jesus Christ and the fullness that he's given to us. And as we say at the awakening, to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. But man, sometimes we run through the tunnel and we fall flat on our face. 
And so we say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try to do better this time around. And what happens? We fall flat on our face. Well, friend, there's a big difference when it comes to upping your game in life between trying harder and training more. Between trying harder and training more. And what I find is a lot of gritting, or I'm going to persevere even through this COVID thing. I'm going to, it, friends, this is a unique time for us, and we need to be in training to up our game. Not only for when things maybe get back to normal someday, but because we are in a very non-normal season, both here and around the world. And how are we doing? Are we on it? Are we up in our game? And so what I'd like to do in this series is talk about some uncommon practices for greater life impact. Uncommon practices. These are going to be practices that we put into our uh, regimentation, our training, if you will, to get stronger, to become better, to become more skilled, to become more effective. And these practices are uncommon for the common man and woman. In fact, uh, when I step back and I thought about uh, some of the things I want to talk about um, in these coming weeks, I'm like, who does that stuff? Who does that stuff? We, we got bills to pay. We got jobs to go to. We got kids to raise. Who does that stuff? Who does those kind of uncommon practices? Well, friends, we have to delineate the time that we're allotted, and we're all given the same amount of time as human beings, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year if God so blesses us. And we need to utilize the time God has given us to be able to become all that He's called us to be in our personhood, with our families, with our friends, but also in our careers and in our ministry in His kingdom. And so I come to you today not... I don't know if it's so much as a coach as I come to you as, as a team player. And I'm telling you, God's been speaking to me that there's some uncommon practices that need to be restored in my life. Some I've done in prior years, some by the, went by the wayside, and some that maybe I've never done. And these uncommon practices are going to help me up my game. Now, I want to say a word here. Some of the practices that are discussed for Christians to do, things like, you know, read your Bible, um, uh, attend church, be um, effective in, you know, serving other people, whatever it may be. Sometimes we look at the disciplines, is what they're called, spiritual disciplines, and we say, well, this is the ultimate goal. If I can do these spiritual disciplines better, then God's going to be happy with me. If I can check those off my list every week, did that, did that, did that, and did that, then uh, I, get some, uh, uh, I get some kudos from God, and he's smiling on me. Friends, the practices I want to talk about, the spiritual disciplines, the uncommon ones in particular that we're going to be talking about, are not for the purpose of earning any points with God. They're to help you and I play the game better, to up our game. You see, when you stand up to bat, when you're there trying to make the fast break, when the spotlight comes on you for the solo, in that moment, it's not the time to say, wait a second, I need to practice on that a little bit. No. 
you go into training and you practice so when the moment comes, you're on it. I know some of us are excited that some of the sports are back, actually, right? You got uh, uh, basketball, the NBA, and you got uh, the Major League Baseball, uh, golf, but it's all happening without fans, isn't it? Now, I find it interesting with the NBA, they actually have electronic boards now uh, in the stand, where the stands are to be with people, and you can sort of like zoom in and cheer, which is always uh, amazing how they do some electronics. Uh, they sort of pipe in some fan music. I want you to know this. The practices we're talking about are a training regimentation for you to not play the game of life, but to perform, not for all the fans and other people, but to perform and bring glory to an audience of one, God himself, Jesus Christ. But how we go about bringing glory to God is through ministering his power and his effectiveness and his change in our everyday world. You got up this morning. Oh, glad it's Sunday. Get to sleep in a little bit. Glad it's live stream. I don't have to get dressed up and get to church, that kind of stuff. I'll just turn on Joe and Carrie and team and, and we're good. Well, are you right now in a perfunctory mode? I'm just doing the things I'm supposed to do. Or do you realize this is another day that God's given you and me? to perform well in His kingdom. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus taught His disciples to pray. This is another kingdom day. This is another kingdom day for us to bring encouragement to someone, to speak into someone's life, to serve somebody, to bring glory to God in all of it. But how well are we doing? Are we bunkered back in a disposition of discouragement and treading water and I'm just going to try harder this time and we'll see what it has? Or are you up in your game and you're on it? And so what I'd like us to do with these uncommon practices as we um, play them out over these weeks is not give you a list of do's and don'ts, but give you a list to pick from because each of us are made different. And this list of training aspects or is going to be important for us as we engage more the kingdom of God in a very, very difficult time in our world and our country and even our own neighborhoods. This is our one shining moment. But friends, we need to take the time behind the scenes during our daily schedule to train, to live life well, and to be on mission for Christ. I want us to pray for just a second. Lord, I just ask in these coming weeks that we will look at these uncommon practices as not a list of things that we need to do to please You, but that these uncommon practices will enable us to up our game as You enable through Your Spirit to forward Your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Beginning with Your kingdom reign, Your leadership in our own life. And so, Lord, out across, wherever anyone is watching this in this very moment, I ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would clear the clutter from our heads and the discouragements from our soul 
and you would set before us a personal vision for our life and an act within us, a discipline by which we become more effective tools in your hand to reach a lost and dying and confused and even embittered kind of world. For your glory we ask in your name. Amen and amen. Now, in one sense, I could almost uh, stop right there and say, you come up with a list of uncommon practices. What do you do to go into training to do better so that you don't fall flat on your face when you run through the tunnel, when the curtain raises, right? But I want you to give heed to some that are uncommon, I believe, who does those kinds of things, and challenge yourself as a Christian believer. And the one that we're going to look at today is that of authoritative prayer. I said it a couple weeks ago, and I unpacked the whole thing of resetting the power of God. And I said that I don't want us to have wimpy prayers. In other words, I don't want us just uh, saying, oh, sort of these wishful popcorn, throw it up there, God. Hey, if you're hearing me, Lord, if you think it might work, that kind of thing, so-and-so over here, and, and I'm in need, and those kinds of things. The, the wishy-washy, wimpy prayer needs to go by the wayside, and we need to be bold, not arrogant, but bold and humble in how we articulate our words before Christ. You see, we've been given the privilege to enter into the very presence of God through prayer. This has happened through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. You do not have to go to a priest to confess. You go straight to God to confess. You do not have to uh, perform a bunch of works or take a number in order to get access to God. You have access to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and His Spirit. And this is a very awesome thing for us to consider and not be whimsical about it. And so we have access to God with our prayer life. Now, it may be in a casual time of driving a car when you're laying down, uh, ready to go to sleep at night, or maybe you're kneeling, whatever it may be. There's, there's uh, different kinds of dispositions, but the seriousness of prayer needs to be understood by us that we are actually going into the very presence of God to the Holy of Holies, like they did in the Old Testament. But Jesus, when he died on the cross and, and the veil was rent between the holy place and the Holy of Holies, he, there was direct access, the priesthood of all believers, like we've talked about, to go into the presence of God. So when we go into the presence of God, let's not be wimpy. Let's not be wishy-washy. Let's not be double-minded. Now, the first thing that happens when we pray is we are praying to have communion with God. I find it typical in my own life. Got a little bit, hey God, I got a, I got a list of things here. One, two, three, four, five. Could we work on those? And, and God said, hello, I just want you to hang. It'd be like somebody barging in, your neighbor barging into your house and saying, I need sugar and I need this ingredient and some milk. Could you, thank you, bye. Okay. Could it be that God just wants to spend time with you? Yes. Foremostly, prayer is communion with God. It's communion with God, and it's aligning our will with His will. I would say that it's communion prayer. But what I want to talk about is authoritative prayer, which springs off of that, which goes into the supplication or the request or seeking uh, to forward God's will here on earth as it is in heaven. And I'd like to take you to this passage from the Apostle Paul. He was uh, in a Roman uh, jail, probably his first imprisonment, and he wrote this great, incredible letter to the Christians in Ephesians in Ephesus and told them to pass it around. And it says this in Ephesians 6.18. It's an exhortation. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. 
With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So, you and I are exhorted. One of our uncommon practices is to pray. And to pray not just for communion with God and to align our lives with His will, but we are to pray on all occasions with request for the Lord's people, for other people. And so we are called to take action on behalf of others. It goes on and says this, Pray also for me, Paul's saying, that whenever I speak, he's in prison, how can he speak? I guess he's writing, right? Or maybe he's getting out of prison soon. Whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. He's in prison. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So Paul's telling them to pray for all kinds of people. Then he says, and you pray for me. And when you pray for me, pray that I may make known the mystery of the gospel, the salvation that's found through Jesus Christ, through what he did, his life, his death, his resurrection from the grave, and coming to forward his kingdom on earth. You and I need to pray for communion with God, to align our wills with him, but we are to pray with a missional heart for his gospel to go forward and for it to go forward because left unto ourselves, we are fearful in this world to proclaim Christ. Are you fearful in proclaiming Christ? Is it hard for you to even say the name Jesus to someone else thinking, now what are they going to think? I'm one of those religious freaks if I say Jesus. No. Is Jesus the leader of your life? Then it should be a natural part, not in an awkward way, but a natural part of your conversation for you and I to be able to declare the one who is our leader and our Lord and encourage others to consider how he could transform and change their lives too. You know, it's interesting. Uh, with the NBA opening up, they've taken all the teams, those that were bidding for being in the playoffs, and they put them in a bubble. They put them in a bubble at Disney World. Now, that sounds exciting, doesn't it? And so they are playing all their games in one place, so there's not a lot of movement and travel around and people being able to pick up uh, you know, any uh, type of virus issues. And so as they are playing back-to-back -back games, this all started, the real live games that counted, I think it started like uh, maybe uh, a week ago Thursday. And uh, it was uh, that Friday um, that there was a team that um, played in Disney World from that very area, the Orlando Magic. Now, with a lot of the social unrest and the calls for um, up in the ante of being able to uh, be charitable and, and uh, just with all races, uh, the whole idea of kneeling when the anthem is played has now become in vogue. And so everybody had been kneeling for uh, the national anthem, whether as a protest or just a statement that uh, Black Lives Matter and um, the jerseys were changed on the back to not have their names, but to have other phrases that would draw us into the social justice thing. I personally just like to watch sports as an escape from all the stuff that's happening in our world, but seemingly they think that's cool to allow all that uh, to be right there in the midst of uh, what is to me some entertainment. 
But there was a player from the Orlando Magic by the name of Jonathan Isaac. And Jonathan Isaac was the first player from these initial games that chose to stand and not kneel. Not only that, he chose not to wear a Black Lives Matter shirt. And so it's like, oh, why isn't he standing? Does he think he's too good or what is he trying to statement? And Jonathan Isaac is a black guy. He's a six foot ten, very gifted um, uh, NBA player. And he stands in the midst of this and you find this picture, which is starking. If this picture was blown up broader, you got referees and coaches. Everybody's kneeling along the side of the court, but he is not kneeling. And so they ask him, why aren't you kneeling in a uh, interview afterwards? And he said this, he said, you know, hey, trust me. He said, absolutely. I believe that black lives matter. A lot went into my decision. And part of it is this. I thought that kneeling or wearing the black lives matter T-shirt doesn't necessarily go hand in hand with supporting black lives. So I felt like just me personally, what is it that I believe is taking on a stance that uh, I do believe that black lives matter, but I just felt like it was a decision that I had to make and I didn't feel like putting that shirt on and kneeling when hand in hand with supporting black lives. I believe, listen to this, I believe that for myself, my life has been supported by the gospel, Jesus Christ, and everyone is made in the image of God and that we all forge through God's glory. Each and every one of us do things that we shouldn't do and say things that we shouldn't say. We hate and dislike things that we shouldn't hate and dislike. And sometimes it gets to a point where we point fingers. Whose evil is worse? And sometimes it comes down to whose evil is most visible. So I felt like I wanted to take a stand on. We all make mistakes. But I think that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that there's grace for us. And that Jesus came and died for our sins and that if we are all come to an understanding of that and that God wants to have a relationship with us, that we can get that we can get kept up all the things in our world that are messed up and jacked up. I think when you look around, racism isn't the only thing that plagues our society, that plagues our nation, that plagues our world. And I think that coming together on that message that we want to get past not only racism, but everything that plagues us as a society, I feel the answer to that is the gospel. Wow. That's a bold stance. Jonathan Isaac is actually an ordained minister. God changed and transformed his life. And it wasn't that he was not a believer that black lives matter, but he was saying that what's going to change? What's going to transform our society for all kinds of ills? Whether it's the sin of racism or it's the sin of uh, prejudice, the sin of anger, hatred, indifference, murder, the sins that plague our world need an answer. And that answer is found in Jesus Christ in the gospel. That's why the Apostle Paul said, pray for me that I make, make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So, 
This spiritual discipline, this uncommon practice of praying to God, is it just dumping our wish list before Him? Is it just spending time in communion with Him and being called into the center of His will, which is beautiful? Or could it be that one of the uncommon practices is that we need to pray that the gospel will go forward in this day and age and it will go through bold servants, people such as a Jonathan, Isaac, and go through boldly in our lives as we interact with people. We must realize what the true battle is. We live in a spiritual world, and in the spiritual world, there is brokenness, fallen human sin. There are worldly ways, and there is an adversary who seeks to wreak havoc. And so we have to pull the blindfold back and make sure day in and day out we're participating not by just merely passively watching the news and you know passing off one conversation to another or one post to another person's post and say, you know, we need to be making a difference. And we've been given the tool, we've been given a, a practice of authoritative prayer so that when we're out there in the game, we're upping our game and we're making a true difference. Where does this passage come from that we were just looking at? It comes from Ephesians 6. Do you know what Ephesians 6 is more known for, or probably most known for, at least I feel, is it says this in Ephesians 6.10, a few verses earlier. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's got a game plan against you and I in this world. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. One of the things that you and I need to give heed to day in and day out is that we are in a spiritual world and that there is a spiritual battle going on. And in the spiritual realm, the kingpin leader, Satan, who is Lucifer, is mightily at work in seeking to wreak havoc. If you're going to operate with powerful, authoritative prayer, you need to have a picture frame developed so you understand what's going on. That you don't live myopically. Oh, I'm here in 20, the year 2020. I might get a few more years to live, whatever. I hope you know my kids do well coming after me. And no, no, you need to step back and look at the bigger world. I was flying in a plane recently over the Rocky Mountains, and you're just like, how did all that get there? There has been a lot of history, there's been a lot of generations. There is a much bigger picture than the little postage stamp that I live on in the Temecula Valley with all my personal concerns, right? I want you to get a big picture so you can have more authoritative prayer. And the big picture is this, that there is an adversary. His name is Satan, and he is actively at work. He has schemes, and he's seeking to devour people and take them down. And we have to you know, stock up and go, well, I don't want to fall that way again, and I don't want my friend to fall that way again. I need to know what's going on. Here's what's going on. Satan, his angelic name he was an archangel is lucifer now there's debate as to what happened how was satan made 
You go, well, that's a strange question, right? Satan was Lucifer. No, no, no. It was Park with step back, bigger picture. Is somewhere in the eons of eternity, Lucifer was probably the highest archangel. And God received ministry from him and all the other seraphim and cherubim and angels, that, that whole tier of created beings he has in the spiritual realm and the heavenlies is doing his bidding and his work. And some point in time came where Satan fell. Lucifer fell. And that's when he became Satan. Was that many eons ago before the beginning parts of the Bible were written? I don't know. I read something this past week, which was a very interesting thought to me. I never really thought about this. And this person believes that Lucifer became Satan in the Garden of Eden. Have you ever thought about this? Why would God place Adam and Eve, these beautiful new creations, in a beautiful paradise, and then leave them there to be devoured by an evil one? It'd be like sending your kids out in the backyard knowing that there was a lion there. That wouldn't be very nice, now would it? And so... This person was saying that they believe that God placed Lucifer as this archangel to be a ministering servant of God for Adam and Eve in the garden. But angels never were given any type of dominion or power or authority on their own. And so when God gave to Adam and Eve dominion and authority, Lucifer took notice and became envious. And it is at that moment that he figured a plan that he could work through human beings to usurp this idea of his role as a mere archangel and start to take control. And it's an interesting theory. I don't necessarily know it's true. You're never really going to fully know it's true. I've always sort of believed that Satan uh, became Satan when God kicked Lucifer out of the heavens and a third of the angels fell with him and became demonic spirits and all that's part of that. But if you go back and you look at some of the passages, actually, in Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all the earth and over every uh, creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I don't like creeping things. Do you? God said you can have dominion and authority over it. I don't don't know if this other theory is true, but it stands as a striking thought. Did Lucifer become Satan in the Garden of Eden when he became envious that Adam and Eve were given, given dominion and authority that he never had? And so then he became the serpent and slyly worked through them to tempt them to disobey God. And could it be that we live in a much bigger picture that we need to understand what's going on? That's why the Apostle Paul said, stand firm and take your stand against the devil's schemes because he's still scheming. He's still scheming through human beings to get them to give him authority. And when you see some of the actions around our world today and you go, where does that come from? Where's evil? Well, friends, evil comes through human beings. Now, whether they're enticed by their own fallen sinful nature because of the ways of the world and peer pressure around them or Satan himself, we know that there's evil in our world and something's going on here. And if we're going to have authoritative prayer, then we better understand what's going on and not be wimpy when we go to God. God gave us 
the opportunity to be the landlords of all of His creation. To oversee not only the fish and the birds and the creepy things, but everything. He's entrusted that to mankind. Mankind fell. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ. He changed and transformed lives so they become fully alive in Him. And then He commissions us to continue on with His authority to make things happen here on earth. Remember Luke 10? Jesus sent out 72 of His disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in Your name. And he replies, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, referring to spiritual entities that can restore havoc in people's lives and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Now this one statement here that he fell from heaven, some people say, well, that's proof that Satan became Lucifer after God kicked him out of the heavens. It wasn't that he became Satan uh, when he was in the Garden of Eden. I don't know all the history. One of these days we'll find out. But I do know this. This says in Peter, the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he wants to devour each of our lives because he hates that we are made in the image of God and he is probably very zealous for the authority, rulership, and dominion that's been entrusted to us as human beings. So when you pray, don't pray like a broken, wimpy, I'm just trying to keep up with Jesus. You pray as a soldier in the army of God with all the authority that He's given you. That's why it goes on in Ephesians. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then guess what verse comes next? And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Friends, we're in a battle, we're in a war. And I experienced it in my own soul in the last couple weeks when I felt like I was just treading water and discouragement. Wait till the doors get fully open and it's all okay and even when we open the doors, you know, is not everybody going to come back? We've got the little ones, we've got the older folks. I mean, Carry, carry, the Spirit says. Up your game. What are you doing? Are you just passing by from one week to another? Or are you training yourself? Are you equipping yourselves to do well? Not just when the doors open, but now when you pray for people. I was on a Skype kind of FaceTime call with my sister, older sister the other day, and her oldest son, he's 41, has had some physical medical issues with his back. And he's been a friend. I've ministered to him in prior years. And, and we thought that everything was fine after 10 years. And then the pain issues came back. And then he saw down another a specialist. And they did a surgery. And it helped for a little bit. But then there's this pain that's ongoing. And she didn't know what to do with her oldest son. And maybe he's, he's watching even now. And I thought, well, I used to encourage Brandon more. 
I, I, I used to pray for him. I, I, I used to uh, really seek out uh, God's leadership that, that he would come through. But I realized, what can I do? I, I could give him a phone call and say, hey, hang in there, buddy. Or maybe I could hit my knees with some authoritative prayer and fight in the spiritual realm and say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan, you have no rights to continue to wreak frustration and discouragement and despair upon his life and some of the other patterns of life that are unhealthy that maybe he's fallen into. I pray, Jesus, that you would intervene and you would bring healing in his life for your glory, the audience of one. And I'm here on the field and I'm ready to play ball. I'm not going to be just back away, whatever, God. Now, I, it may not be God's full will and intention to heal him. I don't know. His will and his ways are above my ways and thoughts. But as that as it depends on me, who's been given the opportunity to rule and have dominion on this earth, I am going to pray. I am going to do what it says in this passage in 2 Corinthians 10.3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So Lord, may I pray with divine weapons because of the authority that you've given me. I don't have any power, folks. You don't have any power. That's seductive to ever believe you do. And we live in a power-hungry world right now. But what you and I have if we are in Christ as a follower of Jesus is we've been given the authority to take the power of God to be instrumental in seeing people's lives change and our world change. This authority has been gifted to you and I as a believer as redeemed humanity and we are called to take action. Carrie, who, who does that? Who prays thinking that they're actually taking God's power and speaking it into existence in someone else's life, whether to bring healing, to bring encouragement, to bring salvation? Or isn't that a little bit of a religious freak kind of attitude? No, sort of a biblical thing. One of the great missionaries of the Christian Missionary Alliance in the early part of the 1900s was a guy by the name of John A. McMillan. He was a missionary in China, and he did a lot of uh, progressive things of, uh, of taking the initiative and the authority of Jesus Christ to see things happen. There was one instance uh, recorded in a, in a book of his where he uh, uh, and uh, some other missionaries were taken captive. He wasn't taken captive, but four missionaries were taken captive uh, in southeast China on a river by three pirates. Two of those missionaries were released. One of those was the famed missionary uh, Robert Jaffrey. Another one, after a while, was released, but they had no idea what was happening. This is back before cell phones, right? Or anything. And they were really worried a month passed. And they decided that they needed to pray more powerfully and effective. They actually began to pray when that uh, one was left there. And a month went past, and that missionary appeared and was released and they went back and talked the storylines and the storyline was that final missionary was released from those pirates clutches when they had prayed authoritatively for things to be bound on earth to be bound in heaven uh, and things to be loosed on earth that are loosed in heaven and they 
acted with authoritative prayer and saw that missionary released. John A. McMillan is great on this whole thing of authoritative prayer. The authority of the believer, what you and I have in uh, our rightful uh, toolkit, as you will, being a, a follower of God. And he says this, we are not merely to pray to God about our problems. We are to speak an authoritative word in the name of Jesus to our problems. Do you find yourself falling in different kinds of dimensions? Maybe it's just not that you're susceptible and prone to fall that way, or maybe you're wired that way. Maybe it's under your underneath spiritual attack, and you need to pray against the adversary and his workers who are causing you to stumble and fall in that direction and live obedient to the Lord, but to break a stronghold. A spiritual stronghold is something that the enemy has attached itself to you in your life that you're not able to get freedom over. We are to pray, not only to God about our problems, but we're to speak an authoritative word in the name of Jesus to our problems. Do you remember Jesus trying to tell his disciples he had to go to the cross? And Peter stands before him and says, Ah, bad idea, Jesus. Don't go die. Jesus looked at his friend Peter, who he just gave accolades to moments before that, and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. You're like, Where'd that come from? Because the mindset of what Peter said in that moment, he was being controlled, he's being influenced at least, by the devil himself and his workers to try to get Jesus from being obedient to the Father's will. Could it be too heavy of a thing sometimes when somebody speaks something to you to look at him directly in the eye and say, get behind me, Satan, what you just said is not of God. Now that might be a little harsh and disrespectful. I understand that kind of thing. But friends, that's what the authoritative word is. Because prayer is communion with God. Spiritual warfare and authoritative prayer is to Satan. You are saying direct commands to him in his realm to let things go. And you're asking God to intervene, yes. But you are taking the authority you have as a redeemed human being, gifted to be landlord of this beautiful creation God has given us, and move forward. So with that, what news items right now are going on that you and I need to take authority over? If you were to study some of the thoughts of John uh, McMillan, and he's influenced a lot of other people that have written and spoken on this subject in following years, he would say there's a whole list of things that you can have authority over. The authority of claiming divine protection around somebody's life. Protect them, Lord. Authority over creation and forces of nature. Have you ever prayed with the coronavirus realizing that it's something of a fallen natural realm, but that we could speak and we can pray to have authority to say, Lord, bring about healing and dissipate this virus. That's a bold prayer. You're not going to have that with some wimpy prayer. That's an authoritative prayer. Authority to open locked doors to evangelism and missions. How many places have been locked to the gospel and people prayed year after year after years that the berries were come down, that missionaries would be sinned, that people would be changed by Christ, and it indeed happened. I can guarantee you this. Any revival, any movement of God, any busting into an unknown territory with the gospel of Jesus Christ to fearlessly make it known, will have been preceded by people who prayed in authority for it to happen. How about authority to declare God's purpose? 
to principalities and powers, like I just said. You cannot control that situation. I don't know if, if, if my nephew has some type of uh, situation that's not just a broken body, but maybe also there's a spirit of infirmity or whatever, but I'm going to pray with boldness that that uh, entity, if it be there, that has no power in their life. How about authority to avert war and control world events? Whoa, that's awful bold. Authority over spiritual and mental depression. That's a huge one. It's a huge one right now. I saw something on Facebook the other day. A, a dad stepped forward and he said, my son died of COVID. But not like you think. He died of depression and he committed suicide. Friends, there's a lot at work right now in this pandemic that has nothing to do with the virus itself. And we need to pray authoritatively for people that are under discouragement. Authority to claim health and healing as an atonement privilege. When we pray for people's healing, it's not because we have any power. I do not believe in faith healing. I believe in divine healing. There's the divine God who has the power to heal and recreate just as surely as He created somebody's body. And I pray because of what Christ did on the cross, by His stripes we are healed. And that includes physical healing, that we can pray for people's physical touch and healing and have the authority to do so. Are you praying that way when you pray over people? How about authority to bind and loose to overcome demonic forces like that analogy of the missionaries that were captive? Authority over territorial spirits and geographical strongholds. I was reading this last week as somebody who said there was a room in the house. Nobody ever wanted to go into the room, ever wanted to go into the room. This happened over a period of years. And finally, he just decided that there was some presence in there because some deaths had happened in there. And he went in and he cleaned the house praying. And when he prayed, people started using the room afterwards. He didn't even let anybody know. Because he felt that there were spiritual entities, territorial spirits that had occupancy in an area. Now that may all sound weird and wiggy to you. And like, where's this Pastor Kerry from the Awakening Church going with all this? Friends, I've been involved in deliverance work. It's something I drug my feet into having been brought along by other people in one sense. But I found out that God called me to speak authoritatively and pray. Just as he sent out the 72, he sent them out to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to proclaim the kingdom of God as at hand. We demonstrate the ministry as well proclaim the message. It goes hand in hand. And that's not weird stuff. It's the true picture of what's going on. How about authority to speak to mountains? Speak to this mountain. You have the faith of mustard seed, move a mighty mountain. Personal problems. McMillan says this. As he, the disciple of Christ, follows the urges of his spirit, and takes to the throne everything that touches his heart. He becomes a partner with his Lord in the government of the universe. I just love that phrase. I'm a partner with the Lord in the government of the universe. Let me step forward with the uncommon practice of authoritative prayer. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is and what he's done and what he's gifted me. He's gifted me to operate with his authority. He goes on, his intercessions become channels along which the divine power is enabled to flow for the elevation, alleviation of suffering, the extension of the gospel and the control of the activities of the rulers of mankind. John A. McMillan was influenced by the founder of the Alliance. The movement that we're a part of that founder was A.B. Simpson. At his word, the unseen principles and powers are restrained. Wars are hindered or delayed. Calamities are averted. 
and national and individual blessings are bestowed. He was influenced by some of the teachings of Simpson in those early years. It was Simpson himself that said this. He did not promise the disciples power first, but the authority first. And as they used the authority, the power would be made manifest and the results would follow. Faith steps out to act with the authority of God's word. Seeing no sign of the promised power, but believing and acting as if it were real. This was the secret of Christ's power, that he spoke with authority, prayed with authority, commanded with authority, and the power followed. Simpson says the reason we do not see more power is because we do not claim the authority of Christ. The authority that Christ has given us. I want to close. And I want to challenge you to do something. I want to challenge you to pray 15 minutes. I, you don't even have to do it every day. Four or five times this week. Take the first five minutes, be in communion with God, aligning your will to His. Take the next five minutes, listening to God, just simply saying, what would you have me to pray about? What would be your will? And then take the last five minutes and pray with authority. You've been given the authority, but you're praying for the power of Jesus to be activated in that situation for a friend, a relative, someone else. Maybe it's your own life, but I prefer to see you pray for other people, other situations. Pray for our nation. Pray with authority. An uncommon practice to up your game. Many of us witnessed this tragic event this week of this explosion that happened in Beirut, Lebanon. In Beirut, Lebanon, they say it was uh, ammonia nitrate or something had been stored. It just, blew, it just literally blew a whole hole in the harbor. And there was a mushroom cloud. They say the TNT of this explosion was one-fifth of what was dropped on Hiroshima. It shattered glass, blew things away, miles away bringing immediate devastation to the immediate mile or so around. One of the buildings that was in that immediate mile was a Christian Missionary Alliance church. That church was established by Sammy Dagger, a really great, known, powerful missionary in the Alliance. Through the years, some of his family now helped lead it. And it's not only a church, but it was also a training grounds for pastors. And so word came this week that the Alliance building... Uh, had received a, a tremendous amount of destruction because of this blast in Beirut. It tore up the inside of it. Harmed a lot of people. Glass penetrating cans and stuck into cement walls, but thankfully nobody was hurt. And we go, oh, it's just tragic, that's too bad. Next piece of news, next piece of news, next piece of news. Maybe, 
God will lay on your heart as he's laid on mine. Another prayer of authority. That God would take this blast that happened in Beirut and he would be glorified through it. That he would draw people to him even more somehow in that land. In that region, and that God would be able to establish the Christian Missionary Alliance work more boldly in that area and raise up more pastors moving into the future. The adversary seeks to wreak destruction. He would like the building to close down. Look what it looks like. You're not going to get back in there for a long time. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the protection you gave. I want you to pray with me now as we close. A prayer of authority. For our missionaries and our work in Beirut, Lebanon. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the name that's above every the name, the name by which every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess. In the name of Jesus, we bring his authority against any and every situation that's involved. There in Beirut, Lebanon, but in particular those connected with the alliance. And we pray, God, that you would be glorified. Lord, continue to heal not only physically, but emotionally those who are impacted by this blast. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan and all your workers, you have no rights whatsoever to hinder the spreading of the mystery of the gospel and the forwarding of God's work in that land. And we would speak to you, Satan. Get behind us as part of a brotherhood, a sisterhood of our workers that are there. We pray for protection over that community of leaders. We pray for equipping and empowerment. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen them and they may not fear and that they may boldly declare the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ to those who are maybe looking now in Beirut, Lebanon, who maybe never looked before. And we ask, oh God, that you would make us individuals here stateside and in this valley, in the Awakening Church, who pray fervently, not because of any power we have, but because of your resurrection power, that we would pray and we would intercede for people in need, whether here or abroad, and that we would become a people who practice authoritative prayer for your glory. Lord, may we up our game. And may we be the disciples that you've called us to be in 2020. As surely as those early disciples that you went sent out to heal the sick, to cast out demons, proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand, and to serve the poor. Lord, may you equip us. May you empower us. And may God, you boldly give us a disposition that overcomes the fear we have in sharing and communicating and demonstrating the gospel. May you draw people to you in Beirut, Lebanon, and also in the Temecula Valley. May you be glorified. God, we love you. Thank you for the blessed privilege it is to operate on your behalf in this broken world. Amen and amen and amen. Thanks for hanging today. We're going to jump in another one next week. I want us to up our game because this is a unique time for us as believers and us as a church to be at it and not be treading water. God bless.